Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Again, today I'm simulcasting, not just to YouTube and Integral Life, but also to Facebook. So hello, Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I, so I thought I would talk today a little bit about the presidential debate between Trump and Biden last night. My view of that, I think I have a different view <laughs> than a lot of people. I mean, the media is kind of crazy this morning on both sides, particularly the Trump is a horrible bad guy. And I didn't hear much about Biden, frankly. It's funny, I listened to the first 20 or so minutes of Morning Joe this morning, and I don't know if his name was even mentioned. And I actually thought he did good. So I want to make that case. Uh, of course, everybody gets to have the case they want to make. Uh, but I want to do that. And I, before, but before I do, I, I actually want to um, just share a little bit, particularly for those of you who may be a little bit new to what I do here at the Daily Evolver. What I do here is I look at the world of current events in politics, culture, spirituality, all of it, through the lens of integral theory which posits that evolution is happening in terms of human consciousness and culture. That's a wonderful thing. And that creates ever unfolding stages of goodness, truth, and beauty. And I make this case, and you can see some of the details, particularly on my website, dailyevolver.com. You can go to the theory tab there and follow along with some of the charts and graphs and so forth. So, Evolution's great, uh, except that we can see that evolution happens and we can see it in nature. Nature uh, is famously red in tooth and claw. I mean, it is an amoeba eat amoeba world out there, people. And that very thing, that brutal nature of evolution is the very engine that creates the peacock and the beautiful fishes and the beautiful plants and flowers and all of the things that we see everywhere, these astonishing creations of nature, including us. So human beings evolve through these stages that are well delineated by developmentalists and aggregated in integral theory. We can see that we are also fueled by the power of both fighting and the other F word, <laughs> loving, let's say. And we do, you know, we fight and we love our way forward, just like it happens in the animal kingdom. Except fortunately for us, we get to a certain stage where the fighting is not violent. And that is the modern stage of development where once one has a center of gravity modern, you realize that fighting and violence isn't worth the trouble and much better to trade and be friends and all of that good stuff. And yet we are multidimensional. We are actually, we live in various, we live in all of these stages actually. And we can see the fight between the stages. In some ways the fight between the stages is the stuff of human drama and human literature and human struggle in history. And we can see it playing out right now. We see it in the debates this playing out between the left and the right in our culture, sort of generally speaking. 
we see it being fought out in our friends groups and in our families. And we can even see it being fought out within ourselves. You know, I have a green postmodern Jeff who is physically repulsed by Trump. I will never forgive him for birtherism. I mean, forget everything else since then. I'm still stuck on birtherism. So there, there's him. And I have modern Jeff who just wants everything to run properly. You know, let's keep the trains running here. I have traditional Jeff who was raised to love America to my bones. And I do. And who is wary of this emerging theory that is critical of America that is coming online in green. And I have red egocentric Jeff who is angry at everything <laughs> and wants to fight anybody who gets in the way of my greater glory of Jeff project. And then I have magic Jeff and, you know, all of that good stuff. So all of this is online. And knowing this brings online this new integral Jeff who can see these other Jeffs in these earlier stages and by seeing them is liberated from being them at least on a good day. You know, most days I'm buffeted between one and the other and, you know, in conflict myself. But in my more integral moments where I am able to bring on better than I used to, I am able to see them instead of be them. I inhale, as Walt Whitman says, you can inhale great drafts of space and see that the East and the West are mine and the North and the South are mine. I am larger, better than I thought, I did not know I held so much goodness. All seems beautiful to me. So you really just fall in love with the system in a new way. You know, it's not stable, but this is what we're working in. So, of course, seeing this in ourselves, particularly, lets us see it and befriend it in other people. It's just one of the central tenets of integral theory is that everybody gets to be who they are and where they are on their journey. It's a journey of their immortal soul. I mean, you don't have to believe that part. <laughs> I think it's better if you do, but they're on a journey. They're on their journey, they're who they are. And, uh, and then so we, you know, there's a shift that happens where we get curious instead of critical. And so th that enables us to, in, in some ways, it's the biggest payoff of all. And that is that we befriend reality in a new way. We may see the world through the lens of our preferences, but we see ourselves seeing the world through the lens of our preferences and our own belief systems and our ideologies and our upbringing. And we may choose to fight passionately for those, but they're not leveled as demands anymore, which is what they are in first tier, these earlier stages. At Integral, they are preferences, and there is a liberation from this idea that this shouldn't be happening, it's awful that it is, I can't stand it, and somebody needs to be blamed. And every first tier stage has some version of that story, okay? So <laughs> that's a quick introduction to integral theory. And again, you can find out more at dailyevolver.com or Integral Life or any number of places, like Ken, good Ken Wilber book, Brief History of Everything, Steve McIntosh, lots of wonderful people doing work in here. In this, in this territory. So anyway, so let's get back then with all of this in mind to the debate. So 
My preference would have been that we had a substantial debate between two perspicacious candidates, or three, or whatever. But instead, we had the debate format that was popular in 2020, which is based on hits and likes and economics and keeping eyeballs riveted and hooking your nervous system. And that's where we are in this stage of development. Uh, and so we saw a debate that was replete in that sort of thing, over-talking, interrupting, it's rewarded. And I got to say, I didn't see it being deployed egregiously by Trump. I mean, certainly no more than I would expect from the egregious Trump. I mean, did the Democrats forget their debates of the primaries? I mean, they were a nightmare of over-talking and insults. And in some ways, this was a better debate because the audience really did stay quiet. At least we didn't have to endure that partisan nonsense. All right, so I would have preferred a different debate, and I think maybe we'll see that at some point. I would have preferred a different candidate than Trump, you know, but there we have him. I mean, we, I've done plenty of podcasts on Trump. You can go check the tags on the, the site. But, you know, I make the case that Trump is in some ways a dark spiral wizard, if you know the, the, the terminology. He can operate in the modern world. He can operate in the traditional world. I'm not sure he feels it, but he can do it. He can even operate in the postmodern world. He, you know, came of age in Manhattan and it was like part of the glitterati. But he lives in the red world, the, the world of the egocentric. It's pre-operational, uh, pre-conventional. One of the things that I've learned about Trump that's actually helped me, I mean, my not be outraged by Trump project is working pretty well in the sense that psychopaths and sociopaths are people too. And I did a podcast on this where I was doing some of the research on the latest findings and treatments for children who have empathy disorders. What they have found is that children with empathy disorders, callous, um, I think it's called callous, I forget what it's called. Anyway, they don't respond to criticism and punishment, but they do respond to praise and rewards. And that has helped me understand Trump more than any other insight. He's not, he doesn't respond to criticism, punishment, but, also, but he does to praise and reward. And that is classic red narcissist. There's a fighting spirit there. It's a, the warrior consciousness. It was the, one of the largest, longest stages of human history uh, as we you know, sort of accelerate through these stages. But they fight because that's how they get by. That's how they feel alive, actually. If they're not fighting, they don't feel alive. So does it surprise me that he fights? Does it surprise me that he is, people talk about him being post-truth. He's actually pre-truth. I mean, this stage of development actually came online in fruition in the world of conspiracies, in the world of loyalty, and not the world of laws and rules. And so that's where he lives. So there's him. And then there's Joe Biden. And would I have preferred a better Joe Biden? Uh, I suppose, but I actually was pretty impressed with Joe. Maybe my expectations were low because I've seen him be pretty um, sort of befuddled. He's 78 years old. He does have some, you know, certainly linguistic impairment, but I think his mind worked. I was pretty impressed. You know, I mean, he handled very complex issues. 
I think he uh, responded to Trump's aggressions very well, actually, including telling the president of the United States to shut up. Uh, allayed a lot of the fears of the people that he needs to capture, the sort of undecided middles, that he's not a captive of the left. He came straight out right up front and said, I am the platform, not the left. Um, he differentiated himself from the Green New Deal, he, uh, from uh, you know, certainly violent demonstrations. I thought he did fine. So this is the world we live in. This is the debate we had. And so I want to sort of be friends with that. <laughs> And, and notice that it moved the ball. It moved the ball on a number of issues uh, that I think were illuminated for people who were watching. And this sort of gets into a sort of an integral sensibility that I, I wanna just mention. And that is that an integral sensibility sees evolution. An integral sensibility sees a, an unfolding of goodness, truth, and beauty. So there's sort of a bias there for things that are new are not necessarily the world, you know, the, we're not living in the fallen world model where anything new is like just new evidence of our fallingness and our continuing to fall. Uh, it's the rising world. And so there is sort of that faith, faith based on looking at history and seeing how we crawled out of the swamps and created, as my friend says, apple martinis and this conversation itself. So we, Learn then to trust emergence itself. My friend Namali Pereira told me this one time. She said, I don't, I don't know if I'm spiritual, religious, whatever what I am, but I trust emergence itself. And I love that. And what that means is we don't have to trust institutions and people. They come and go. People are people. They lie. They tell the truth. They've got complex motivations. But the world grinds forward, again, through fighting and friending. So we become friendly to that. So we see then that there is a culture war going on in this country. I mean, there always has been. It, it ebbs and flows. There are times when the culture moves through a crisis and has a new sort of integration, as we did after the Civil War, where the sort of the struggle between modernity and traditionalism, sort of red traditionalism, the owning of slaves, etc., was sorted out and at high cost. And in a way, we're doing that right now again with the struggle between green, post-modernity, uh, and traditionalism, which is basically pre-modernity. Uh, and then modernity sort of split. We have the business people trending right, and we have the scientists and uh, academics trending left, and welcome to a polarized world. And so that's where we're. So in terms of the talking about the issues, we heard them talking about the economy. And Trump, you know, Trump is a lot of his, he's a bullshitter is what he is. I mean, and red people are in a way, they create reality. They're not fact oriented, they're distorting reality. And famous leaders have done that. And it's not an altogether bad trait for any of us because actually the world is less rational than we think. But at any rate, with that said, Trump governs pretty much as a vanilla conservative in many ways. And he's just naturally, this funny thing, people at the traditional and early modern stages of development just naturally distrust government. Maybe it's because they're closer to the tyrants in terms of evolution, but they do. So they, they favor private, they favor business. It's just, in the, it's just natural sort of affinity and 
allergy, and their allergy is the government. By the time one gets to late modernity and post-modernity, we have a natural affinity for government, for the public sector, and a distrust of the private, partly because we've seen the downsides of an unchecked modernity, and post-modernity comes online to control the rapacious aspects of that. And so we see these two argue, I think, from pretty much a center position, and both of them seem to be aware of what they were doing and, and sincere in their beliefs, actually. And yet we can see that however fast it happens, and it's never going to be fast enough for people who really want it to happen, but socialism in one way or the other, a green economy, a more egalitarian economy, is going to come online. It just, it is, I mean, I can't believe that a Republican government, the president and Senate, have written $3 trillion in checks to the American public in the, this COVID crisis. I mean, imagine Hillary having done that. I'm glad that it was Trump, actually. But the inevitable movement towards you know, socialism, if you will, by whatever name, or some integration of socialism and capitalism is more like it, is going to come online. And we can sort of have some faith in that and be less contracted around these ideologies that sort of the, the stuff of the fight itself. And so we see that with the racial sensitivity training, another topic that came up last night. There is a green sensibility that is coming online in the culture. We saw it with Me Too. Uh, we saw, see it with Black Lives Matter. And it's a sensitivity to the karmas of history that in one way or the other, hierarchies of oppression based on sex, not really oppression in the sense that women often, in terms of particularly sexual earlier stages of uh, patriarchy and so forth, women were all for it too, you know, and you often see women defending it in uh, patriarchal cultures. But at any rate, there's just a natural movement to see everybody and to, they call green the sensitive meme, the sensitive self. You become sensitive to people who have been left out for whatever reason. And to become sensitive to a different kind of law and order. We saw that discussed last night. I mean, nobody was against law and order. I mean, Trump was telling Biden, say you're for law and order, as if he couldn't say that. And he said, when you do, you're going to lose, you lose your left. I mean, he's not a dumb guy. Maybe he's right. I don't know. Has law and order become a bad word? Uh, I don't think so, and I don't think Biden thinks so. It's just, how do we do law and order? Is it going to be more community-based? It, it already is. That's happening. The killing of unarmed people is reduced, is way down over time. And you can, of course, see, that if you want to look at the bigger trajectory of the evolution of the police, it used to just be whatever gang is enforcing the tyrant's wishes. And now we have uh, ever more community-based, psychological-based. This is happening. This is going to happen. And actually, Trump is more open to these kinds of criminal justice reform than your typical garden variety law and order conservative. So ow, I'm good with how that's happening. I mean, could it be faster? Yes, but it's pretty damn fast. Uh, we see the same thing with climate. They were talking, uh, of course, they, you know, it was, a, it was a perfect example, in a way, of the differentiation between how postmodern slash modern people see the issue of climate, climate change, 
and those who are modern and traditional, the ones leaning right. And so Chris Wallace asked Trump about why he got out of the Paris Peace Accords. And Trump's answer was a bit of a non sequitur, but what he said, he said, in America, we want to have the cleanest air and water imaginable, something like that. And that's the modern answer. That's what modern cultures do is they clean up their own nest and that's where they're focused. And that's a very, very important stage of development that we have lived through. You know, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania in the 60s and 70s in coal mining country. We supplied the steel mills of Youngstown and Pittsburgh, uh, you know, just a few miles away. And we never went near our river, the Mahoning River. Lake Erie was toxic. We had a cloud that would uh, sweep across the country. Uh, I remember I had a basement apartment. I would have to get up at four or five in the morning and close my basement window so that the smoke from the Coke ovens wouldn't crawl into my window and fall into my basement. And I moved to Denver in whatever it was, 78, and Denver had a famous brown cloud. Uh, LA, all of it, it, it was enormous, littering for God's sakes. I mean, when I was a kid, people would throw out their McDonald's boxes in our country road. It was just what you did. We would clean it up occasionally. Nobody thought much of it until good old Ladybird came along with the um, don't be a litter bug. And so th this is a consciousness that comes online. It's part of the, the awareness of cleaning up your nest, which traditional people are not good at. And then we move into post-modernity. And that's so, you know, Trump's more that side of the street. And Biden is more of the modern post-modern side of the climate view, which is where people become world-centric. That's one of the features of post-modernity. We become world-centric and we see how humans are inflicting uh, damage on the biosphere as a whole, not just our neighborhood, not just our country. So I thought that was pretty well discussed last night, considering the reality of the debate format and who we had debating, <laughs> you know. Uh, and if, you know, Trump talked about costing jobs, Biden talked about creating jobs. These are good arguments. These are the arguments that we need to have and decide and fitfully fight and friend our way forward on. Uh, again, I could see the larger trajectory of, uh, you know, in some ways how we overvalue the presidency and leadership and so forth, and how we could trust emergence more than institutions. And, you know, I remember hearing when Trump, I mean, I guess I knew it was going to happen, but Trump withdraws from the Paris Climate Accords, and I think you moron. And it bums me out. And then I can see that electric cars, inflection points that we're seeing all over the place in terms of renewables and a new open-mindedness that I'm seeing to nuclear, which ought to happen if we're really serious about uh, stopping emissions. Uh, I didn't hear them mention it last night, but uh, we'll, we'll see. I think it's going to be, you know, I'm with Obama, all of the above, my Obama, my dear integral Obama. I can remember being, thinking that Romney and McCain were the bad guys. Ay, ay, ay. This is progress, though. This is progress. This is where we're seeing our, our the, Trump is showing us how we 
you know, the, some of the sort of artificial nature of this polarized system. Anyway, so then we have a couple other issues I'll, get, I'll go through quickly here. One is voting. Um, again, we can see this larger trajectory of, of course, in tribal cultures, we were egalitarian, but then once we get into red and we start social hierarchies, you know, it ain't about voting. It's about who has more, a bigger club, basically. Who's the tyrant? So that was the way it was through the monarchies and so forth until this new development where that seems constrictive, human beings say, as their sort of unconscious collective. And there's a move to expand power to a gentry, to landowners, uh, not women, not people who are outside of the system, but the people who are actually running the system. There's a certain intelligence to it, actually, if you look at the brutal intelligence of cultural evolution. But that the, the trajectory is towards a greater and greater enfranchisement of people. And we can see it in this country where we enfranchise blacks and, and then we had 100 years of Jim Crow where it was not really de facto integrated. Uh, we saw the suffragettes and the women. And so now that we have the Voting Rights Act and so blacks are enfranchised and different races and so forth. This is a sort of a, you know, irresistible trajectory of the dissemination of power and just the intelligence that humans have that the more people who are online, the better, the smarter we're going to be. And we have to figure out how that is. And yet there's always a lagging impulse from conservatives to limit the number of people who are in, because if you let too many people in, they're going to game the system and they don't have any stake in it and they're just going to suck the life out of it. And so that's their sort of argument, even if they have a hard time making it, because it's so anti-American to say, no, we really don't want those people to vote. But that is the, what actually happens. And so with the proliferation of mail-in voting, I mean, I couldn't imagine mail-in voting as a kid. In fact, when I was a kid, my mother worked in the polls, so I remember this. Voting was only on Tuesday. And... I look back at that and I think I know why, because that was the hardest day to get people who worked for a living to the polls. There you go. And so, you know, we continue to muddle our way forward here. And all of the constrictions on voting now are procedural and gerrymandering. And the, the fight goes on. So this is where I, as an integralist, do I think Trump has a point about uh, unsolicited ballots, that is, ballots that are just mailed to everybody, as we do in Colorado. Yeah, I think he does. I don't think it's a big point. I think there are people who have an eye on it. Uh, but I remember when I was a kid, I'm not, not a kid, but actually an adult, and my mother got her absentee voted. Now, that was a solicited ballot. She had been voting absentee for years, but she was beyond caring, God love her. And so that ballot was just laying there. And this was actually during the election of McCain and Obama. And I was, Pennsylvania's a swing state, that's where my mother was, and I thought I ought to just fill that ballot out for her, and I could have. I didn't. I allowed my sister to. My sister was more aligned with my mother. And so I think justice was done, but 
I think we're going to have a better voting system than this at some point. And I think we're going to have some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know what, actually, it is an integralist. I don't have to know what. All I know is that there's going to be an ever more intelligent, ever broader franchise that I sort of trust. And it's going to happen like this. The pendulum's going to swing and the clock's going to move forward. That's the way of evolution. So, oh, and then the final thing. Ugh. Ugh. This legitimacy of the election thing. This will Trump accept the results. And it's clear that he won't. He talked about months it's going to take. And so this is where we get Trump. This is a red fighter. This is, he talks about being a winner. Some, he's, look at his life. He's won a lot and he's lost a lot. He's really more identified. He just likes to fight, period. So I don't think he expected to be president. I think he came on with just this kind of thing. I'm, I'm, it's sort of that autocrat thing where it's about me. Uh, does Trump love America? Yes, I think he does, actually. I think he loves America in a way I didn't appreciate at one point, but I do, and I think it was on display last night. I think he loves America the way autocrats love their country, where there's sort of a fuzzy boundary between me and the country, and I am big daddy at any rate, and I am the father or mother of the country. And I can do what I want. And, you know, again, pre, pre-modern. Modern is the deep state. And thank God for it. And also, it has its own sort of contractions and constrictions. So I do think that the modern system, and this is the one that was created by our founding fathers, as imperfect as they were, but it is a system of distributed power where, you know, they, they knew Donald Trump. They knew autocrats. The whole idea was to thwart the autocrat. So we are going to be tested here, I think, in uh, the coming weeks and, uh, you know, God knows, hopefully not months after the election. But I think we'll come through. And um, that's my story. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. All right, so that's my take on the uh, debates. I've seen these crazy headlines and lots of Sturm and Drong, but, you know, to me, the system seems to be working and more or less right on schedule. And it's beautiful, but not pretty. All right, thank you, everybody. This Facebook thing was fun, and um, I... Um, I guess we'll just see you next time. Like I said, I'm doing this every week, uh, Wednesdays, Mountain Time at 1 p.m. We'll see you next time, hopefully. Bye-bye.